Report in. Red 10 standing by. Red 9 standing by. Red 3 standing by. Red 6 standing by. Red 9 standing by. You're listening to the Ion Cannon Podcast. Laugh it up, fuzzball. Your source for entertainment reviews from a galaxy far, far away. This is it. He laser clickers. Welcome to the Iron Cannon Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Stephen, and I'm joined by my friends and co-hosts, Tom and William. We are here today to discuss Season 5, sorry, wow, Episode 5, Season 1 <laughs> of Andor titled, oh, um, what was the name of the episode, guys? I'm, I'm forgetting. Are you an wow, axe? I, yeah, the axe. The axe forgets. The axe? What, what, did the axe also forget? Is that what? Oh boy, this is... I, good one. <laughs> okay, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> All right, William, I, I understand there are a few uh, book announcements that are worth talking about. Yes, yes. Um, so some exciting stuff. Of course, New York Comic Con was this weekend, and we got the announcement of a new book. It's called Star Wars Inquisitor Rise of the Red Blade by Delilah Dawson. And it follows the story of um, Iscat, a Jedi survivor of Order 66 who that turns to the dark side, joining the Inquisitors with the hope of uncovering the truth about her past. Comes in, in 2023, so my guess is sometime in the summer. We also got some comic uh, book announcements um, and some more on like Yoda's the lightsaber collection book, some other stuff, but that's the big fiction book announced. Uh, as well as covers for Star Wars Cataclysm, uh, the High Republic Cataclysm, and Quest for Planet X, and Path of Vengeance, um, and some other uh, High Republic comic uh, reveals as well. But yeah, really, uh, and I guess there's also going to be a sequel to The Edge of Balance for Phase 2, and a uh, young adult anthology for the High Republic, featuring stories by... Sorita Cordova, Tessa Gratton, Claudia Gray, Justina Ireland, Lydia King, George Mann, Daniel Jose Older, Kevin Scott, and Charles Sewell. So that comes in July of 2023. So yeah, some 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 good book announcements. New York Comic Con is always is always uh, known for the book panels, so it's always it's fun to see more stuff coming out. Even though the schedule is pretty packed, you know, at least we got one book announcement. That's uh, actually two. That's more than I was expecting personally. So mm-hmm. yeah, exciting stuff. With that, Tom, you want to get us into the episode? Tell us. I mean, Stephen already kind of spoiled it, but what will we be reviewing tonight? Oh, wait a minute. I, for- I start this? I forgot. Anyway. Um, oh, no. I, I, sorry. I, I'm oh, done. No. So anyway, tonight's episode, we're going to be reviewing Andor Episode 5, The Axe Forgets. This was directed by Susanna White and written by Dan Gilroy. And in this episode... Cassian must carefully navigate the distress, distrust inherent in being the new member of a secret operation. This episode, there was a lot of exposition throughout, can we say, the different segments of the story as we were watching the episode? Yeah, this is an interesting one because it's primarily set on Aldani uh, and really focuses on those interpersonal relationships between the rebels um, mm-hmm. on the planet, the Aldani cell, I guess. Um, but aside from a lot of infighting, not a heck of a lot happens. I mean, it, it gives us a lot more character backstory, but I don't know. I think I wish we, we, we get very, very brief 
glimpses of all the other storylines, mm-hmm. like Cyril Karn and his post-firing depression, Mon Mothma's continued struggles at home, uh, Supervisor Blevins take over Ferrix, very brief glimpses of Deidre Mizo and Luthen Rail. But like, I feel like it's almost like cameos more than anything else. It's mm-hmm. like some, some of the scenes are probably like 30, sub 30 seconds. It's It goes by very quickly. I, I, yeah. I, I, what did you guys well, think? I, I think for me, when it came to these episodes, I, I kind of led into this. You, you're right about a lot of it took place on, on Aldani because you're setting up basically the next episode where they are going to actually go after the payroll. Plus, you're also setting up why one guy distrusts, you know, Cassie and Andor. But also you had the little stories in there when it came to Mon Mothma and her daughter, when it came to Cyril's depression and his mother, which still that that whole thing just find I find fascinating. Um, and then, you know, Ferrix basically still having to deal with she's she's on to something and it's nagging her and she, she's got to try and figure it out. So you get these glimpses to the other storylines that I think will help continue everything else going forward after we get past this next episode, which for me, the main part of Aldani is setting up what's happening in that episode. What do you think, Steven? Yeah, I mean, this as a whole, this episode was very much a like, uh, you know, it similar to episode two in the first uh, three episodes, we are setting up for the big bombastic third episode of the arc. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. I'll say like, I think the the saving grace for this episode is that the dialogue and writing continues to be very strong. Like mm-hmm. you said, there's a lot of interpersonal conflict amongst, you know, the Aldani insurgents. Um, and, you know, it, you can summarize that very simply as like, oh, it's a bunch of people talking. Uh, yeah. But there, there is some real tension there, mm-hmm. like I, especially seeing like Skeen, the kind of tattooed guy, and his conflict with um, Cassian was, I think, a really good, you know, like there's not a lot there to it, but it, it holds your interest for the, you know, 30, 40 minutes of the episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, I could certainly, I could wish for more, but I I ended up being pretty happy with this episode, I'd say. Like I, my review last time was like, oh, wow, we've got a lot of insurgents. And I don't feel like we know any of them and I don't really mm-hmm. care about any of them. Um, this episode, I don't think it's perfect. Like, I, I wouldn't say I could name, you know, all five. I could name any of them, honestly, without help. But, like, I could describe the major ones, certainly, uh, without issue at this point. And I I think that's a win for the episode. Mm. And, and I, I want to pick up on when you were talking about writing and the interpersonal reaction. The one that got me was Cyril and his mom. <laughs> that That whole thing back and forth. Just the, you know, well, I've got it. It's your uncle. I'm going to, or whoever it was, I'm going to talk to your uncle. It's like, uncle why? Well, because, yeah, because, because it's like, you know, uncle, uncle Harlow knows what's good for you. He's going to tell you, you know, you shouldn't have done this, but he's going to tell you what you're good at. And it's like, there is a millennial in a writer's room somewhere that was just like using this entire episode. <laughs> therapy, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Well, it must be because he literally had a bowl of like, you know, some kind of cereal Captain Crunch thing in blue milk. It's or literally whatever. called Crunchies. But it, honestly, it kind of it kind of looks to me like uh, Cocoa Puffs. Uh, yeah. Maybe like, I don't know, mint. I, I, I was getting the Cocoa Puffs vibe. And then Sean, a good friend of the show, Sean Keen, said maybe it looks like mint flavored Cocoa Puffs with which, blue milk. Which, which is I mean, hilarious. Chocolate or uh, isn't Cocoa in like Thrawn Trilogy introduces Cocoa, yeah. right? So it, it uh-huh. literally could just be Cocoa Puffs. Yeah. Right. You don't know. Yeah. Yeah. 
but they're that, called that, crunchies apparently so we have a our first star wars brand cereal how long till the license uh is uh is given out <laughs> Hmm. <laughs> that will be interesting to see if it could be around by Christmas because you because they do have blue milk. They could serve that at Galaxy's Edge because they do have the blue milk. I'm not sure that blue milk would taste good with cereal in it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a but, it's good stuff, but not it's not exactly a uh, uh, something you'd put on a, a cereal. I think no. No, I, 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 I wouldn't trust it, especially when you've got like the blue with the green and the brown. But but, you know, we digress. I just I think that whole interaction between Cyril and his mom, I just found so fascinating. Yeah. But but also you could see there was that bit of depression, but there was also it's like I have nowhere else to go. And this is where I'm stuck mm-hmm. and I have to put up with this until I figure out a way to get back to where I was at, because the thing I loved about that whole thing is at the end where he actually still had the holocron with Cassian's face. So that's where I'm looking at. There is a way that he and, and Ferrex at some point are going to hook up and continue the search for Cassian Andor. Yeah. I think this, this was one of my favorite uh, um, aspects of this episode it was getting, you know, Cyril kind of skulking at home at his mother's house. We see her, him oh. like come home. <sighs> What? Sorry. Yeah, sorry. go ahead, Stephen. I, 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 I need to interject this. This is go critical. Ahead. Do you think he calls it cereal? <laughs> oh no! Oh god! <laughs> that is, I like. Was that? Is that like the source of all of his angst? Is his mom called it cereal like for thirty years growing <laughs> up, and he just he just snapped and he couldn't handle it? He anymore? was actually named after the bowl of crunchies. <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah. Okay. No wonder he's such a wreck. I mean, oh. <laughs> Sorry, anyway, my, my important oh my point is continue, That's okay. That's okay. William, continue. Oh, yeah. But it's, you know, it's, like, like as you said, Stephen, the dialogue is so well written here. And, you know, uh, the way they, the two, um, you know, Catherine Hunter as, as Edie, his mother, and, uh, and of course, Cyril Karn, um, uh, it just, the way they, the way they interact, uh, mm-hmm. Kyle Solar is just, so good. I just love how he sends spends most of the most of the episode moping, and meanwhile his mom's just like berating him, and for good reason in some ways, right? He never goes and visits her, and you know she never also never came and visited him, but wasn't a he did say he had a spare room. He did, but also I, like yeah. he never actually asked sound like her to join. It was just like an open invitation, so I could see why she was not necessarily and, feeling. And I get it. it because she she had I think it was a kind of comeback, like you just said, William. It's like, well, that's an open invitation. We all know that, you know, you, mm-hmm. you, you yeah. don't take it or whatever. I mean, but it was it was that comeback to almost like a backhanded slap to him. Yeah. That was just oh god, the the acting in that whole thing was just brilliant. Yeah, it was. It was. And you know, the I this really felt like Cyril's Cyril's? I can't I can't get it on my Cyril, head. Cyril, just this just, is Cyril's just forget the Ariel. Uh, it's Cyril. Steven, you've you've just ruined things. Yeah, um, it kind of feels like it's it's his reset episode, right? It's he got he he lost his job in the last episode. And now he kind of has to get re- reset and get that motivation again. And now he's furious at Cassian, and you know, he's going to go after him. Right. Um, and, and it's it's great. I I still think long term. I just think he's going to pull Agent Callus and eventually, maybe in season two, join uh, join up with Andor. But for now, 
he's 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 upset and he's going after them. Only time will tell in that respect. I don't see it, but only time will tell. So I'm I'm curious. Clearly, their uncle he has to Uncle Harlow he has to like have some sort of standing within the empire, right? Some high ranking guy. What do you guys think? It, I don't know. I actually. I read a lot of that scene as trying to explain why Cyril is the way he is uh, in the sense of his, I got the sense his uncle is probably a nobody or mm-hmm. he like works at a dealership downtown, which is why he doesn't end up, you know, working mm-hmm. anything. And Cyril's drive is a result of watching and growing up in this environment and r- trying to make make his own way, regardless of, you know, his mother, overbearing mother, his extended family that are judgmental or, you know, want to help but don't actually help. Like, all these different things that contributed to make him, you know, mm-hmm. uh, kind of a crazy person in some mm-hmm. way. Maybe an overly dedicated person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I definitely see your point, Stephen, because the way she kept playing up Uncle Harlow, he seems like he thinks he's got that kind of a position, but in reality, he kind of doesn't now yeah. we don't know i mean th- this is only we're only guessing at this but it's it, it's like one of those things where it's like yeah i'm a big guy around this place but in reality he probably isn't but we'll see yeah that's true that's a good point yeah maybe maybe he's a nobody but the family just thinks highly of him i don't know bingo <laughs> bingo yeah so okay so that's 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 uh that's cyril's scenes and we get three scenes with him but they're they're some of the most compelling. The other ones I love the other the other scene the other character we touched base with in ve- two very brief brief scenes that I loved was Mon Mothma. Of course, we mm. all love Mon Mothma, but we get a little bit more not as much as I would have liked, but we we get a little bit more with her and her husband Perrin Fertha, who continues to be a jerk. Um, but we're also introduced to her daughter Leda played by Bronte Carmichael and she's 13 years old. She's got a heck of a bad attitude. Mm-hmm. Thoughts on, and oh, actually, and she was also, it's the first time we've ever seen her in a story, but she was originally mentioned in the dark empire source book from 1993 as a background detail. So it's cool to see. That's, that's a deep cut. Yeah. yeah. So what do you think of the introduction of uh Leda? I mean, I'd say same thing here, like in what in terms I said of uh, Cyril, like this, it's even more brutal. Like we've now we've established that Mon Mothma has a terrible husband and now we get to see effectively her husband playing the like weaponizing her child against her mm-hmm. to some degree. And it's one of those things where it's it almost feels almost maybe a little too real, but you can see and imagine uh, the conversations about like, oh, like. Uh, you know, why is why are they not parenting together or he's undermining her and staying mm-hmm. silent and she gets frustrated and all these different types of like, you know, uh, kind of standard domestic squabbles, for lack of a better word. Uh, but it just like, man, if I were Mon Mothma, I would also go and like found the rebellion to burn it all down because <laughs> that's not not a, not a happy day. So, I feel so bad for her. Like she has. Yeah. She has no one. Her her own daughter is just completely rude to her, disrespects her constantly, doesn't like won't even let her mom take her to school and accuses her mom of just wanting to show off and say that she's involved. 
there's clearly a lot of hurt feelings there. Yeah. yeah. And and the the thing that gets the most is the husband just allows it. He, oh, he totally does. He enables and, and it. He, and it's not so much the egg on, but there's a shot of him just sitting there, I just 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 sitting there staring at her like, eh, okay, here it comes. Mm-hmm. And then the, the other thing about it, and, and I've noticed it even from the last episode, he, I, the dress of him reminds me of like, I, I almost went even last it, it, like a Jedi or he wants to yeah. be a Jedi or he thinks he's a Jedi yeah. or he thinks he's a powerful person to where if he dresses like this, he'll be noticed. But, but there's a snarkiness about him and he, the treatment of a Mothma, it just, it, he's smarmy. I, I can't wait to either see him get his comeuppance or, or what I'm waiting for this. Yeah. I, I think you might be left waiting, Tom. I, I suspect we're not going to see anything unfortunate happen to him or her daughter. I think what we'll see is as Mon Mothma gets forced or maybe not forced into the rebellion, but like, I think she's going to throw herself more and more into that part of her world where, Mm -hmm. you know, she can make a difference and there are people that actually care about her. Well, and there's a certain point if she throws herself that far into her world, maybe she walks out on him. Never know. Or he walks out on her. Or or whatever. I mean, I it mean just, maybe he it, even it, turns her in. To that's the, the other thing. I but, could see that you, he finds out she's really, you know, I guess she can't really. Com- I'm trying to think. By the time of, but she's still a senator. By the time of a new hope, so he can't really turn right. her in. Maybe, but, maybe maybe he finds out and threatens to turn her in, and she has to do often. Yeah, make but, a but hard decision. Can, I don't know. Yeah, but you can. The, it's it's the tension between the two of them that it's so fascinating to watch. And Stephen, you you do feel, I think you said you do feel sorry for her that she's got to put up with this because here she is knowing the empire is wrong and she's trying to do something about it. And she's, if I remember from the last episode, trying to get funding to do something about it. And yet here she is getting this fighting from her husband. And she's like, you don't even know my driver's name. It even came up this time again. And it's like, is he doing that on purpose to drive her nuts? Mm-hmm. I, I feel like there's a story here, which is in some ways, Perrin is uh, a jerk, like, undoubtedly. Yeah. but I, I also get a sense of just like, this is also the privilege of being wealthy and successful in the empire. This mm-hmm. is why there isn't, you know, broad resistance on Coruscant is because like his life is good. Yeah, he's got a driver that takes him where he needs to go. He gets to have fancy dinners. Like there, there's nothing. Uh, there's no reason for him to even consider the rebellion or mm-hmm. think about the need for something like that. Mm-hmm. No, that's true. I mean, the the empire. The empire. There's a lot of. There's a reason why a lot of people supported the empire. It's because it it did feel comfortable and nice for them. And so, you know, maybe that's. Maybe that's part of it, but uh, I I hope we get more with with Mon Mothma in future episodes because it, we see the table scene with the daughter, and then later in the episode, and then later in the episode, we do get a brief scene with them in the Senate limo after some sort of event, and this is this is this was fascinating to me because we start to we learn that Perrin is upset about someone this guy gar to feed knowing more about what mon mothma is up to than he does and i suspect that's 
you know, probably she says some charity. I suspect it's really something rebellion related. Um, but she says she didn't think he'd be interested since it's charitable. And we don't really get any context as to what event they were at or I almost feel like maybe they cut a scene. I don't know. It felt very out of context because one minute she was going to take her daughter to school and later we they're driving home from some chair to, uh, some some event where they're discussing charitable um you know uh things i don't know it, it it didn't quite gel well but i i wish i wish we'd gotten more with them yeah it was very much a you know we're touching base to remind us that you know re- remind viewers the characters exist things are happening and then move on. Like Luthen gets a very similar. Uh, oh, he's even worse. You get, he gets like a minute, maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like he, his scene is purely like you know he's closing down the shop. You can tell he's stressed because you know the mission's about to go on. His assistant tells him not to worry, and, and then we're done. <laughs> I almost wonder, <laughs> end like of, end of arc. Yeah, the scenes were so short. It almost felt like they were just contractually obligated to include them. I don't know. Do you think? Yeah. Did you guys like the these brief check ins, or or do you think it would have been better just to? you know, omit them from the episode and check it on them with more time. Maybe next week. I, I think when it came to Luthen's part, it was, he was worried about what was going to be happening on, um, Aldani. Mm-hmm. That was number one. But number two, the, the biggest thing for me is I think it was the Easter eggs in his, his, um, archive in the back, because I saw a Jedi holocron and a Sith holocron. They were big, but I saw them in the background and I think that was more, you know, if you looked, it was there, but it, it was, you could probably say it was a good bridge into the next episode because that's giving you the feeling that now this day is over and then boom, the next episode, it's where they're going to finally go in there and do the heist. Yeah. It just, I don't know. It just felt so uh, brief. I'll say I didn't um, mind it, William. I, it definitely is, uh, out of place to some degree. But I, I didn't mind the quick check-in, and I, I thought it, they worked okay. Like, you know, Mon Mothamus, that second season was probably a little bit more odd, but I didn't, like the quick check-in on Deidre, the quick check-in on Luthen, on Mon Mothma, just to show that their stories are progressing in there, I thought was fine for this type of episode. Like this, in many ways, this is a filler episode as we get ready for, you know, the next big one. Yeah, it's kind of laying the groundwork. I mean, I think there's not really not even much to talk about, I feel like, with Deidre and Blevin, aside from... Deidre still hates Blevin, scours at him in the hallway and believes that they're, you know, that, that there's still some discrepancy and they're still looking. Uh, let me get some nice, you know, references to different planets. And mm-hmm. I, I do appreciate that, you know, for all, you know, in the previous episode, Deidre talks to um, whatever the, the head ISB officer is and he talks about how they go on evidence, not on um, instinct. And I do really like her you know, section where she talks about the different things that are being stolen, proton warheads from one place, a star path unit from another, mm-hmm. uh, targeting consoles from a yet a third place. And I, I appreciated her line of, you know, like, no, if, if I were planning an insurrection, this is how I would do it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very, a great example, I think, just in a, in a very, relatively short scene of like, this is, in some ways, this is the downfall of the empire is right. and, and, and a bureaucracy that is incapable of responding to something like the rebellion. And and I think it's her assistant that basically, and I'm going to paraphrase because I may get it wrong, but the assistant basically sat there and said, it's too random not to be, quote unquote, too random. And I do believe that this is setting up. She is going to find Cyril. 
I think that's how he gets drawn back in because mm. there's something she's going to find that's going to lead her to him because he is the one that basically in the, in the episode we saw, he has seen Cassian personally and yeah. he's the one that started the investigation. So it makes sense that they would team up because they're, they're kind of the, the odd ones out in this case. They're, they're both, they're both fighting the good fight, even though no one else really believes them or they've been fired. And, and so I could see and, that. And, and you hate to say it, they're actually doing their jobs. Oh, they are. They're, they're yeah, the, cause yeah. she's, she's even, she's going on her gut instinct. And I think that's the best thing that's, that's going for her right now because it is that drive because of the gut instinct. And he is going because right now Cassian embarrassed him and he lost his job. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's exactly it. And so I, yeah, I'm excited to see where they go and, and what they do as far as um, the next episode. I just, I hope it starts to, to pick up a bit of speed. Um, and we do get, I guess we also get uh, the introduction of this new captain Vanis Tigo played by Wilf scolding. Who's, basically trying to get the title of prefect and he's he's in charge of setting up this hotel or the new imperial office and that's kind of it <laughs> you know there's not a cool. lot going on great yeah love it let's yeah, yeah. hey you want a hotel uh I'm, but you're gonna look, make i it just want the spinoff where we deal like it's basically parks and rec but all with the empire like getting zoning <laughs> permits and oh man do we put two trees in for the park or one just, you know, going to be great. I love it. So let's turn our attention to the Aldani insurgency. Um, we get a lot more backstory. Uh, we thought we complained last week that there wasn't a lot of backstory for these characters. We don't really know them. And we, we do, they do a better job of introducing us to, uh, to everyone in, in this episode. Did you got what, what what was your any, anything you particularly enjoyed about about all this? And I, I kind of alluded to it earlier, but like I just appreciated the back and forth, particularly between Skeen and Cassian. I thought worked really well as they kind of basically trade war stories and you have the kind of two uh the two opposing I don't know what to call it, like paths these two characters took despite similar origins. You know, mm-hmm. Skeen went to prison. Uh, you know, went, had a terrible time. I think it was on Mimban as well, if I recall. And now just kind of all of that anger fuels him into fighting for the rebellion. And you've got Cassian who also had a terrible time on Mimban, also has had a lot of terrible things happen, but is not, I don't want to say become selfish as a result of it, but is much more self-focused certainly compared to Skeen is. And it's the conflict that results of, you know, do they trust each other? Should they trust each other? I thought worked very well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, you, oh, sorry, Tom. Well, I was going to say, I think the other thing they set up nicely was, you know, it showed the different mentalities of people who came to the rebellion. Like you have Nemec, you know, he's green, but he's a true believer. Okay. He loves tech and he's sitting here like, I, I love tech so much, but I'm off the grid because I really think the empire is going to like, you know, find me and I want to stay off the grid. So I'm going to make my own tech using all this old stuff because none of the stuff can be hacked. You know, none of it, because mm-hmm. it's basically in so many words, it's so old, but you know, he believes in the rebellion because he knows the empire is bad and they're going to, you know, basically ruin the galaxy. I'll say I really appreciated his manifesto and his attempts to segue into like all the rights that citizens should have mm-hmm. and so on, um, 
which, you know, the type of thing the Star Wars universe probably could use, but you're not going to get very far with the Empire. Yeah, and, and I have a feeling he's probably going to be the first one to go. Uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and, and I, I, I too really enjoyed the rivalry between um, between Skeen and, and Clem, or, or Cassian, as we all know him. And I don't blame Skeen, right? Because he's in it for he's he's more altruistic. He's he's in it to take down the Empire. And Cassian is not really revealing all that much. Uh, he's kind of playing the cards close to his chest, and he can tell. Skeen can tell, and that's why he doesn't trust Cassian. And when he finds that, you know, putting yourself in Skeen's shoes, when he, you know, Cassian is not, he's not really, uh, you know, explaining what why he's he's doing this, right? doesn't really want to share uh later skeen spots cassian's sky kyber signet and it, it is odd right that he'd have something worth fifty thousand credits uh on his you know when he has no other real possessions um and it's, he's taking it on a robbery and so i could totally see why skeen would hate cassian and 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 distrust him and he even says he distrusts you know others like nemec uh, who he knows is a is a is you know as you said Tom a true believer so I, the dynamic there the writing was really well done at least I, I think the other thing for me is it got to the point to where Clem Cassian mm-hmm. had to actually admit to them to gain some kind of trust why he was there the surprising thing was is like he does admit he's getting paid but they're all like what you know it's like well you know, it, it it's funny because here's a guy that's getting paid. But remember, in the last episode, it it, it was told to the the leader. It's like he's expendable. You can kill him if it doesn't work. Yeah. So, and, and again, they're 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 not getting paid, right? They're doing this yeah, for free. The they're living in the dirt and barely enough food. So I I'm not I don't blame them for being upset. Hmm. It it makes it makes a lot of sense. Um. Yeah, I, my biggest takeaway in a lot of ways is I think Vel need it does not have a good handle on the group here. <laughs> like she fails to kind of control and keep them focused and on mission for the majority of the episode, and she kind of manages to resolve the conflict. But I think it's really more Cassian being more forthright and honest than he's been thus far. That's really what kind of gets Skeen to back down and be like, okay, fine, whatever. Yeah, I mean, and then we get back to on a couple of the others as well. Um, Sinta, we know, is supposed to be one of the tough ones there. Um, I, I still found her kind of probably to be the weakest link of all mm-hmm. of them. There's just not a lot of story to her background. Mm-hmm. Um, I did kind of appreciate Lieutenant Gordon's story, the kind of Imperial officer who, you know, fell in love with a local woman, lost promotion because of it, lost the woman, and now is kind of striking back at the Empire. And I love some of his... Uh, especially the the scene where he's in the like the what do you call it the vehicle bay mm-hmm. and they're like oh we really want to go to the celebration boss is it okay he's like i don't know while secretly like of course that's exactly what he wants because he <laughs> wants people to right not be there yeah it was that was so well done i really liked uh i liked seeing how he's playing the imperial officer while slowly moving all the chess pieces into place for the attack mm-hmm. um and it kind of gives us an opportunity to see the various uh, parts of the base, presumably things we'll see them attack uh, next week. Uh, and you know, how he, 
how some of the imperial officers don't like the native, you know, the Donnies, right, from the, uh, the folks who live on the on Aldani. But um, you know, he he actually does have some sympathy for them. So it's mm-hmm. it's it's really cool. It's it's well done. I I did enjoy that that piece. The the thing I found fascinating that the was it Corporal 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 Kimsey. Mm-hmm. Was that the guy he met on top of the base? Yeah. And they were talking about it uh, moving. It seemed like they were going to tear down where they're at right now and move it. And it was going to be like some like a bigger base than what it actually is right mm-hmm. now. But the the thing I'm trying to figure out is Corporal. Boy, I'm blowing this. Is Corporal Kimsey possibly part of this as well? Because it's almost like it was portrayed as. It didn't sit right with him that this was going to happen, or am I reading it wrong? I I didn't pick that up. I would say mm-hmm. um, I just took Kimsey's attitude as just he doesn't he doesn't even care. Like the the plan, mm, the okay. base, none of it is actually relevant to him personally, yeah. mm. and he's just yeah, whatever happens happens. Yeah, I mean he was he was even talking about how I I, I don't think he's sympathetic at all because he was okay he was talking about how even you know a hundred or so the the Donnies is too much, you know, uh, and he clearly does not like the people of all Donnie. Um, mm. but yeah, I don't know. It's, I suspect we'll see more of them next week as this, the, the attack happens. The, the other thing I thought was interesting, speaking of the, 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 the Bay, right. Um, uh, is they, last week we, they kind of recapped the, they gave us an overview of the plan and this week they, they recapped it again for, for us. Um, which is good. Cause I couldn't really under- remember what the plan was for the most part. Anyway, um, they're basically stealing a ship that has a bunch of, uh, uh, credits on it and the, it's, it's on a, on some rails. They have to release it and fly it out during the celestial event, the eye. And, the fascinating thing here is that while we're kind of led to believe that um, that this this team is is all ready to go and they they have everything under control, they definitely do not. Um, you know, and and while Cassian's talking with um, who's he talking with? It was talking with uh, was it Temic, right? Uh, or, or oh, shoot. <laughs> Uh, Tamarin. He, he was talking with Tamarin and Vel, and he discovers that they have no idea how to even get the ship off the tracks. Like they, mm-hmm. they, this is a key detail that they're just planning on winging. Right. Yeah. They they knew how it was set up. They knew it was on tracks. Well, but it took Cassian. Well, yeah. It took Cassian to say, "Look, there's another room in there that's got something else you got to deal with. It isn't just easy going in. The thing's set up, and you fly off." This has to be set because I think it was something about weight. It has to be uh, a lever has to be pushed. All this other stuff that was separate from what they thought they had to do. Yeah, they they are completely and utterly unprepared. They do they do not think it does not seem like they have thought through every single detail. Well, she said that they were going to wing it, right? Or they, they'd figure it out. You don't, I don't know. You don't wing this kind of mission. <laughs> no, not with a not with a bunch of credits on the line, Stephen. I, in fairness, I kind of heard it as they don't have every single detail planned out, but like this sounded like one where, you know, like it was probably going to be, I think, off the tracks already, I thought uh, Val said. If not, there's probably like, you know, it can't be that hard to figure out. 
you know, certainly they, they're not as ready as Cassian was led to believe, but I didn't take it to mean they were completely unprepared. I guess not completely unprepared, but they were definitely missing pieces. I guarantee you, though, that that ship is not going to be on the tracks next week. No, no, because because Cassian said was, multiple it times, you're easy. sure, right? You're sure, right? They're like, yes, yes, we're sure they're going to be right. But, it's not going to be happening. <laughs> I think it also it also proves to the group they needed him. Mm-hmm. They needed yep. him to be part of this. And it literally set up the reason why he was there. Yeah, because he brought in a perspective they never thought of. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And it's good he's there. And also later, you know, we see him very uh, uh, aptly pointing out that they're the way they're marching is not gonna is not gonna fly. They'll 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 be spotted. Uh, and he is just it just kind of shows how perceptive Cassian is. The fact that he notices exactly you know uh, who's Hand, who who has the you know which dominant hand and mm-hmm. uh you know they're they're definitely not prepared no completely i have to say though maybe my favorite aspect of the whole aldani um uh, storyline is just how terrifying they make the tie fighters tie mm-hmm. fighters have always been cool they have a great sound effect but the way they're just oh it is it's like bone chilling whenever a TIE fighter is flying overhead and they're trying to hide stuff. And it's been in a couple episodes now. And it, it just, oh, I love, I love how this show has made TIE fighters legitimately scary. Cause it seems like if they have an easy target, they're just going to shoot. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's yeah. yeah. And you're, you're on the ground. And so it's, it's, it's a, it's a nice new way of looking at TIE fighters, not just target practice, you know? Yep. So, well, shall we get into our rating? It does seem to be that time. I, I'm good with it. Steven, why don't you go first? Oh, you would make me go first. Um, I'd say this this was just a quintessential filler episode, relatively low budget. We're sticking to a lot of setup, interpersonal conflict in preparation for what I assume is the big episode. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're we're recording this on a, a Tuesday night, so We'll find out in like what four or five hours. I mean, yep. obviously, <laughs> yeah. theoretically, we'll find out in four or five hours if that pays off. But I'm expecting this to just be another solid episode. Um, or sorry, the next one, I should say. This one I thought was fine. Like it's carried by the writing, which is not something I normally expect to say about Star Wars. Um, so like hat, again, like hats off to the writers and directors for making me be able to say that with a straight face. Um, I think I'll probably give it like a six and a half out of ten. I almost want to go seven, but I'm just going to leave it at six and a half. Like it's, it's a perfectly solid episode. I don't think you'd go back and watch it again. And be like, Oh, this is my favorite episode of Andor, but it does the job and it sets things up in motion for what's going to come next. So, you know, I'm, I'm happy with that. Um, and you know, obviously uh, my six and a half womp rats are going to be covered by blankets that the, the you know, rebels threw over them as tie fighters came screaming through. Cause can't the womp rats, you know, clearly the secret weapon of, you know, this entire mission and, there's no way you can let them be found. But uh, yeah, Tom, why don't you go next? Okay. Um, I think we summarized a lot of the episode. I did enjoy this, and I, I agree with Stephen. Um, the writing of this episode was really good. Held your attention to it. I am giving this episode a seven, Womp Rat. I am going to go there. Because um, I did like, yes, you got the little snippets, 
but each one of those little snippets you got, like Mothra's episode and the Ferrex takeover and the ISB, all those snippets basically moved everything forward. And it gave you that glimpse. You didn't have to see a lot, but it gave you that glimpse that people are still there. There's a story that's going to be here that at some point these little guys, these stories are going to be paid off. So I appreciate it. Like the episode, writing was great. Acting was great. So my seven Womp Rats. Now, you see, we're sitting here trying to figure out what Uncle Harlow does. Well, little do we know that Uncle Harlow has a side business of being a Womp Rat Wrangler. So he is basically taking care of the seven or the the Womp Rats that um, Cyril had in the last episode. And now he's got the actual, you know, seven that he's got from this episode. And he's got them on a little farm and he's taking care of them. So that's what my seven Womp Rats are doing. He's actually a Womp Rat Wrangler. I love it. That's awesome. Uh, yes, I guess that leaves me. You know, I thought this was a, a serviceable episode. It, as you said, Stephen, the writing was great. Um, it, it just, it feels like it's setting up the next, uh, the next uh, episode in the, uh, it, it feels like it's really setting up the finale, right? And it, it's it's fascinating to me because Andor is kind of structured, seems so far, I, I, I suspect, in three episode chunks not dissimilar from the clone wars is actually pretty funny i was listening and as we, were, we were watching the episode and i was remarking how there's kind of three episode chunks and my wife was like actually it's kind of like the clone wars huh where they had these these arcs and i was like yes that's exactly a great great point um and it, that's that's kind of how it feels right I, and they're they're actually the first three episodes were written and directed by the same two people and then uh, the first so far, the fourth and fifth episodes, and I suspect tomorrow's sixth episode are written by the same, uh, written directed by the same people, and so it kind of, I kind of get the sense that we're they're doing like three episodes at a time, and maybe the maybe the whole season will be like basically four three episode uh, arcs, and so it, it feels like we're setting up the finale, and it's not the most exciting, but it it does a good job and gives us more into the characters. It's enjoyable, but I think I'm ready for them to. I want to see this this exciting action set piece um, with the attack on the Imperial base, and then I'm excited to go, maybe go somewhere else, and and hopefully spend more time with Cyril and Deidre and Mon Mothma, and I hope we start to see Andor getting and Luthen, and I hope we see Andor getting connected with the larger rebellion soon. Um, so overall, I'm going to give this particular episode six and a half Wamprats out of 10, like you, Steven, I, I was also going back and forth and, um, you know, these, these six and a half Wamprats are going to keep, um, uh, Leda and, uh, Perrin company because, yeah, that's, I guess that's Mon Mothma's gift to them. Maybe that's why they're so sour. She gave them six and a half Wamprats. <laughs> I could see that being the case. They're very cranky. They are. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I guess that's it for today. Thanks guys, as always for joining me talk about Andor. It's always a pleasure and we'll be back next week with our review of episode six. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the ion cannon podcast, your source for entertainment reviews from a galaxy far, far away. For over a decade, Ion Cannon has covered every corner of the saga, from the films and animated series like The Clone Wars and Rebels, to books, comics, games, and more. If you like what you hear, please rate us in your favorite podcast client. Your review will help this show grow within the Star Wars community. 
We can be found at our website, ioncanoncast.com, and you can follow us through Facebook and Twitter. To email us, you can do so at contact at ioncanoncast.com. The Ion Cannon Podcast is not associated with Lucasfilm, The Walt Disney Company, or any and all of their respective trademarks or copyright holders. Any opinion expressed on the show are that of the hosts. This podcast is a production by fans, for fans, and is copyright 2018.